we're so good uh, to have you here. There is uh, a lot going on um, in the life of this church over these next few weeks, and so we want to just get you, um, make you aware of kind of what's happening, what's coming up, um, and what opportunities you have to get involved. Um, starting uh, next week, next uh, Sunday, is the uh, rebirth, the, re the relaunching of uh, the Katyville Fireman's Field Day. Um, and typically we are able to partner um, with them a little more directly um, to be able to offer volunteers. They've kind of gone a different direction, which likely works out well for them as far as, as actually being a part of the uh, event. But something that we've kind of fallen into over the last few years um, is, is there is always a parade um, right at noon that there are generally uh, hundreds of people that line up and down Route 3. And so we have started um, doing a pre-parade outreach as families start gathering together and kids get antsy. Um, and so we always have been doing this. Um, we've had a, a bounce house. Um, we've given out freezies and water and several different things. This year we wanted to get back out to that um, so next Sunday, we are um, going to be uh, set up with our snow cone machine, um, and we've got all kinds of different flavors. Um, we do have a balance house, and we are looking for a few more people um, to help. Um, just kind of, there, there's, we need a couple of people just kind of to monitor the balance house situation, make sure that kids are not spending the whole morning in there, making sure kids are in and out and that they're not, um, you know, they're not having cage matches in there. Uh, so we do need a couple of people. That's not going to be a high uh, physical activity, uh, but it is something that we do need just a little bit um, of help with. And then we could use two or three more people uh, to help with the snow cones. If we can kind of get a, uh, a bit of a conveyor belt kind of situation of uh, somebody scooping uh, pretty consistently the snow cones and then two or three people that can kind of switch in and out um, uh, to kind of flavor everything for these kids. Um, that would be fantastic. I've already talked to a couple of you about these snow cones, but if we could have um, at least a couple of more uh, people, that would be uh, fantastic. We're going to have music playing. It's just such a great opportunity to love on our community. So we're going to have a shortened service next Sunday. Um, we're going to have our worship and prayer time like we typically do, and then we're going to break um, and go out and, and be in and love on our community. So please see me uh, following the service if you could help. Um, and we'd love to be able to plug you in uh, and, and have an opportunity to love on our community together. Um, it's not on the screen right yet, uh, but just a reminder that the week after that is Father's Day, so just kind of keep that in the back of your mind as well. Um, and then uh, on the 26th, um, which is coming up in three weeks, um, there are two things happening. We are having our Grad Sunday. Um, which, is, uh, which is always a, a highlight of our year. Um, I know uh, we have a few, including our very own Trinity and things on our worship team, um, and there's a few more. Pastor Franklin and Sarah are kind of taking care of um, the planning for that, and they have the list. Um, I can barely keep my, my brain on straight lately. Uh, so thank you to Pastor Franklin and, oops, Pastor Franklin and Sarah um, for continuing to, uh, to invest in um, and our young people. But that is going to be happening here. We'd love to have you join us. And then following that service, um, the 26th um, is Jennifer and my last day um, here at Mosaic Church. Um, and so we are, um, we are very 
uh, blessed to be able to have at least a, a final farewell dinner with you, um, eat together. It's one of my favorite things. It's why I asked uh, the board if we can at least have that um, as we kind of ramp down our time here. So I'd love to be able to spend a little bit of time with you on the 26th following the service. So about 11.30 um, here on the 26th. Uh, and finally, just a, a continued thanks uh, to those who continue to support um, the life and work and ministry of the church. Um, your continued faithfulness to serve and to give um, has, been, um, has been something that has filled me with gratitude. Um, if you would like to join us, there are several ways that you can. They're up on the screen there, and we appreciate your continued support of the church. Uh, I believe Debbie Jock is coming at this time to lead us in our morning scripture reading, and then we're going to continue into our teaching time together. Thanks, Debbie. Hello. Okay. <laughs> I am the two and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are, always, uh, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Thank you, Debbie. Well, this morning we are taking uh, the next few uh, the next few Sundays next week, notwithstanding, because uh, there will not be. A, uh, a teaching time um, during that Sunday. Um, but I've been kind of just uh, considering what, how I want to end my time uh, with you over these next few weeks and, 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 and asking and considering how, uh, what God would have me uh, reinforce uh, messages, perhaps um, themes, uh, and so over these next few weeks, we're going to be, um, we're going to be going through, they're not necessarily going to be a cohesive series like I tend to do, um, but it's just going to be a series that I'm just calling parting words, things, uh, that I have, um, I have been, uh, been really feeling in my spirit, things that I, I have shared, or even just major overarching themes that if you look back over, uh, the six years that I've been with you have been, um, some of the more um, more consistent things that I believe God has continually laid on my heart, and I've wanted to come back to one last time. And I think uh, as we do that, the perhaps most appropriate thing, because if there's one thing many of you know, um, you know that this verse, this this section of scripture that Debbie read this morning. Um, is one of my favorite passages of scripture. This, this idea of the vine, this metaphor that Jesus gives of the vine is something that I have been 
uh, particularly, um, has resonated with me particularly over these last few years. And I've been thinking a lot again about how Jesus challenges our status quo and invites us to a new and a, a better life. And it's so interesting when you take time to reflect. And one of the things that I've been challenged to do over these last uh, several months, sometimes by circumstance, um, sometimes intentionally as I've been engaging, and many of you know, and, um, and, and for some of you, you may not be super comfortable with the fact that I've been talking a lot about uh, my own uh, mental health journey, um, going to, to therapy and working through um, some of kind of my own uh, mental health journey. I, I do that in part because I, I, I'm painfully, uh, painfully open, uh, but also because I think we uh, live in a culture that that stigma needs to end. And one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is cause and effect. Um, the, the, the things in my life that happen as a result of decisions, whether they're decisions that I make or decisions that are made by others, and how the, the direction of my life tends not to just happen, they tend to be the result of the things that we do and the reactions and responses that we have to different things, cause and effect. And I've been thinking a lot about how how the things that we do and the decisions that we make dictate the direction of our lives. And one of the things, I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine named Christy, and we were talking about our own personal pet peeves, and she was talking about the biggest one she has. And we were talking about how much she hates the word busy. Because busy is is definitely uh, a feeling that many of us have because many of us are overwhelmed by our responsibilities. Uh, for many of us, they are uh, work responsibilities coupled often with family responsibilities, friend responsibilities, um, and, and responsibilities that to a degree, I think a lot of us, um, even when we do things like volunteer, um, I think we, we volunteer often um, out of love and passion for something, but sometimes that can uh, become another weight, another responsibility that we have. And I think that idea of busyness and her reason for this, and I, I totally understand, and I'm trying to even rethink the way that I, I use that word myself, is that it comes under the assumption that life just happens to you, that, that life is just something that happens and is not a series of decisions and responses and reactions and priorities. Because the reality that we have, the thing that is, is true and real and, and consistent, whether it's in our own lives or even that you'll see in the scriptures, is that the, the life that we are living is often the result of the choices that we make. Uh, Galatians 6 has an interesting way of putting it. Uh, this is Paul writing to a, a churches in a whole region, and he says this, he says, Do not be fooled. 
You cannot cheat God. People harvest only what they plant. If they plant to satisfy their sinful selves, their sinful selves will bring them ruin. But if they plant to please the Spirit, they will receive eternal life from the Spirit. Another translation puts it that, puts it that you will always harvest what you plant. Um, over the last month and a half about at this point, uh, but definitely this last month, I've been doing a lot of driving. Um, when, you, you, uh, when you buy a house, uh, there's a lot that comes with it, including, um, especially in our situation, we've been blessed with being able to commute back and forth uh, to do a couple of projects to, um, with a lot of amazing help. Uh, just throwing that out there. Um, this is absolutely... Uh, I've been so blessed by the help of especially certain people in this room uh, that have been uh, amazing throughout this time. Um, but I've been driving the same route over and over and over again. And we are, we have been firmly in planting season. Um, and there are several farms when you're driving down 22B um, and then 22 to get to Keysville, where we now um, have a home. Um, y there are quite a few farms. And there's one in particular that for whatever reason I've really, really come to, to notice uh, consistently. And, and I don't know what it is. It, I don't think there's anything particularly um, special about it. But I just happen to be, when I've dri driven by it, they seem to be in the fields working. So they have all of these, uh, all of these machinery, all these different tractors that I, I'm going to be real, I have no idea what any of them do. But... It is the reminder for me uh, that, that there is this process that happens over the course of the season, of course, but over the cycle of years that these farmers, these, these farmers and their employees and their families commit to, to be able to reap a bountiful harvest. Bountiful harvests don't just happen. They don't happen by accident. At least, it is very rare. There is so much intentionality that goes into the creation of a harvest and the cultivation of a harvest. None of this happens by accident. Every action happens on purpose. And even when things don't go the way that that perhaps nature would have it if it's a drier season. The, the reality is, is that sometimes things are beyond their control. You might, get, uh, you might have blight or something like that that happens. But, but within the ability to control these different factors, a harvest often happens, largely happens, or doesn't happen because of the commitment to the process of the farmer's their family, and their employees. And so that passage that Debbie was reading earlier resonates with me because it kind of follows the same pattern. This idea of you will always reap what you sow. You will always get the harvest that you are preparing for by your actions, by your attitudes, by your decisions. These are all things that are preparing for a harvest of some kind. The question is, based on what you are doing and how you are living, the actions and the attitudes, the words, the thoughts that you have, what kind of harvest are you preparing 
and planting your life towards. Many uh, life coaches will remind you, whether they are religious or spiritual or not, will tell you that this is the foundational principle of the direction of your life, that your outcomes are dictated by your inputs. Uh, this week, I, I, had to, uh, I had to work feverishly to complete a major grant application uh, at work. And one of those parts of that grant application, um, I had to demonstrate what we are expected outcomes would be, what we wanted to see from the program that we've been undertaking, and demonstrate how what we were doing would produce those outcomes. Because again, we know that if we don't do these things, the goals will never happen. And when I think about the life that Jesus wants us to live, I think for so many of us, we've become convinced that the life that God wants for us is just going to magically happen. That we're going to just wake up and we are going to be the way that Jesus wants us to be. And while it's true that Jesus does come and offers to transform us, one of the ways that he does this is by transforming and reorienting our lives on him, by rooting ourselves in him, and by finding new purpose and new life in Jesus. Which brings us to that passage that Debbie read, uh, at least the first part of a little bit earlier. And I think it's important to uh, be reminded of what's going on through all of this, because John 15, if you have your Bibles, we're going to land there for a few minutes at very least. It's going to kind of be our main uh, passage for the remainder of our time together. Um, but John 15 is happening. Um, we, in an interesting place, because in John 13, we see the, the last supper of Jesus. Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, and they leave, and from the best that it seems, the disciples and Jesus leave and go to the Garden of Gethsemane just before Jesus is betrayed and handed over for execution. And so there is a reason for, uh, that is for that reason, sorry, um, that many scholars assume that John 15, 16, and 17 are part of Jesus' final hours that he is spending in the Garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus is not just sharing this with the crowds, that Jesus is talking to his closest friends as he prepared them for the end, as, they prepare, as he prepared them to, to live life without his, at very least, physical presence with them. They were at a crossroads. They were at a a, a waypoint where their whole journey could change, hinging on what they do with this information and how they move forward. These are some of Jesus' last instructions, his last teachings to them. So clearly, they must be important. And so I want to read uh, from, from verse 1 through verse 8 to begin this time together. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, which is, for those that are interested in knowing, this is my, my devotional, um, 
my choice of devotional uh, reading for whatever reason, um, it, is, it is what I guess speaks to me well in this passage really resonates in this translation because of a couple of the choices they make. And so this is Jesus speaking in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. And you've already been cleansed by the words that I've spoken to you. Therefore, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. In just a few more verses, Jesus says, I have said these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, I, uh, until about four years ago, had no understanding of what it meant uh, to be a vine grower. For many of us, uh, vineyards are a bit of a foreign thing. At best, we may have gone to um, wine tastings, maybe? Uh, but even then, most of us, really all we know is grapes are tasty, or grapes make good juice, or for some of us, grapes make good wine. But we don't necessarily think about how you create good, good grapes for the various purposes that we have. But Jesus' audience would have known this when he talks about being the true vine and his father being the vine grower. Because they lived in an agrarian society, they would have absolutely understood better almost immediately because even if they didn't uh even if they didn't grow grapes they likely grew something it was a a kind of society that you likely grew most if not all of your own food and what you didn't have it was a more of a bartering system where you might be a farmer who grew grains if i was a fisherman we might come to an agreement where you give me some grains i give you some fish and we all go home happy so what the people that would have heard Jesus speaking and some of the first readers or listeners of this gospel would have known is that just like the farmers that I've seen along the roadside, good grape crops didn't just happen. Grapevines especially needed to be intentionally cultivated and pruned and even trained in order to produce a good harvest. Left to chance, vineyards would just become wild. And in the scriptures, talking about wild grapes was actually a, a term that got used, not a whole lot, uh, but wild grapes were a bad thing because generally speaking, that meant that they were underdeveloped and, and because they were underdeveloped, they didn't 
taste particularly good. So if you're using them for food, they're not going to be delicious. If you're using them for wine, which many in, uh, in, in the ancient world did as the only source of potable water, um, they, they would know that they would be disgusting. And so knowing this, you would at best, if you left a vineyard untouched, you would get a, a smaller crop Perhaps if you got a lot of grapes, it wouldn't be a very good crop, and at worst, it would produce no fruit whatsoever. And so Jesus is using this metaphor intentionally to remind us and to remind his listeners, both his initial ones, his his disciples, and those in the first century, to understand that their lives can only be as fruitful as they work for it to be. And so it gives us a, a couple of questions to consider. And I think there are, there are two that we are going to look at this morning, pulled out of this passage, that, that reminds us and that will hopefully challenge us to to reflect and hopefully to act on the principles that Jesus is pulling out here in John 15. And that first question is on the screen. Where are we finding our nourishment for life? When we look at our bodies, we often feel as though we are out of control. But what I have learned personally, and what many of us have learned, is once again, what we eat determines who we become, at least physically. What we feed ourselves determines our health. Uh, There was a book that I read um, several years ago, actually our former uh, a former district superintendent uh, gave me a copy of this book. It's called Four Disciplines of Execution. And he talked about uh, ways to measure your growth or ways to measure really anything. Um, and he talks about lead measures and lag measures. Lead measures are the things that we do or that are done to us that determine the direction that we're going. So if, if I want to drive to Keysville, a lead measure would be I'm going to get in my car. It might be I'm going to gas up my car. Sometimes that might mean I'm going to take out a second mortgage so that I can afford gas for my car. But, and then I'm going to perhaps, if I'm not entirely certain at this point, I know exactly how to get there, but at times I might have to program my GPS to take me to Keysville because those back roads are kind of all look the same at times. So these are the things that I have to do. If I just get in my car and start driving, is there a chance that I'll get to Keysville? Probably. If I head vaguely south, I might get near enough to my house. But even if you show up at Keysville, I mean, there's, it's not a big community, but there's enough roads. If I don't tell you where to go and you're not driving there, you might not find my house. Because again, that is not how you get there. How you get there is choosing your direction, is making sure that you are in an appropriate vehicle. It is, uh, it is making sure that you have enough fuel to get there. Even if you're biking, let's say you want to bike to get there, or you want to walk to get there. 
If you're hungry now, it's going to be tough for you to walk to Keysville. These are all lead measurements, and the leg measurements are the things that are the results of the things that you have done. So getting to Keysville is the leg. You can't plan on, you can't really control that. You can't say, I want to go to Keysville and then do nothing else. You, I, if I sit here, I will never get to Keysville, no matter how bad I want to get there. Because if I do nothing, my intentions won't get me there. The decisions that I make, or as that book that's called The Four Disciplines of Execution um, calls it, those lag behind the decisions that we make. And so Jesus is, is clearly telling us that if we want to grow, we have to choose where we get our nourishment from. What we reap is the result of what we sow. Jesus invites us clearly to abide in him. And abiding is an interesting top, is an interesting word, and it's the reason why I honestly, that I chose uh, to use the New Revised Standard, because a lot of, a lot of different uh, translations, perhaps yours, are choosing perhaps the easier to grasp word of remain. And remain is not necessarily a bad word, but when I'm sitting on the chair, I'm remaining. That is what many of us think of. So when we talk about remaining somewhere, you might even have the picture of somebody with their arms crossed, with a scowl on their face saying, move me, good luck, try harder. But when Jesus is talking about this in the original Greek that John was written in, uh, the word wasn't passive. It wasn't just sitting there waiting for something to happen to you. It is, it is an active thing that we choose to do. Abiding is a decision to grasp or to remain against pressure to move away. And so this important concept here is twofold. It is a decision to remain, not just to remain, but to, to push against any forces that threaten to pull you away from Jesus. And it's a decision to choose Jesus as the source of your nourishment or the source, at very least, of your spiritual health. In John chapter 7, Jesus talks about the invitation that he has, and he says that whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And rivers of living water was, again, often used as a metaphor, particularly, um, it was shorthand for the type of water that you would drink. And you've probably heard, because this isn't the first time that I've talked about this. In fact, um, there's a whole series that we talked about, um, the idea of living water. And so there were kind of three primary ways that you could get drinking water in the ancient world. Most of uh, them did not have access to running water as we did. 
um, the best, most, most ideal, freshest water was living water or rushing water. So the most, the, the biggest example would be uh, Niagara Falls would be a massive river of living waters. That is perhaps the most, uh, the most compelling image. If you're trying to get this mental picture in your mind, that is the epitome, that is the height, that is the very definition of living water. And you know that it's good because you could go to a pond and get water, but you probably won't because your mama probably raised you better than that to go to a pond because what happens in a pond? It gets, uh, it gets stagnant, in case you didn't know that, uh, because it doesn't tend to have any inlets or outlets. So water doesn't tend to pour in and it has nowhere to go. And so that is why you would want rivers of living water because it was tended to be the healthiest, the most free from disease, and the most free from dirt and grime. Because I tell you what, if you've ever gone swimming in a pond, like especially a smaller pond, it's, uh, it's not fun. I mean, it is fun. Let me actually, let me rephrase that. Um, it is fun, but it's not clean. I often would get out of ponds and have a, this almost scummy feeling to it. So you don't want to drink from that. So you want to go toward this. And then the second, uh, the second best, I suppose, or second preferred way uh, would be pulling water from a well. And you'd go, and in, unlike our wells now, though the concept is still similar, you would have wells built deep into the ground to pull water out of the ground. And generally speaking, it was relatively safe but in a dry or arid community or region, wells often would dry up. And when wells would dry up, you would go to your third choice, and that was for cisterns. Cisterns would often be these large bowls almost that would often be on top of somebody's home because they'd have a flat roof and they'd have the cistern. And the cistern would collect water from the rain. And just like a pond, this was not a preferred way of doing things because a cistern was still water that mosquitoes would get in and diseases would get in and things, you know, things would drown in it. You know, like you'd have, you'd have an animal thinking, hey, I'm going to drink this free water and then they would drown. And people would have to choose, am I going to drink the water that this animal drowned in, or am I going to die of thirst? It's not a great picture for these folks. And when God speaks to us, when God thinks of his best life for us, abundance has always been his goal. His goal is always living water. And throughout the scriptures, particularly, uh, particularly the, the, the thrust of this coming from like Jeremiah through to the New Testament has been this picture of God's best for God's people has always been abundant living. But time and time and time again, we opt for less than God's best you're seeing on the screens right now from Jeremiah 2, which uh, Jeremiah is a, a fascinating and compelling book because it's taking place 
um, just prior to the story of Daniel. Um, and this is kind of the, the Je Jeremiah is the, the prophet that is warning God's people that the things that happened in Daniel were going to happen. And Daniel, if you know anything about it, I mean, that's, that's a, lot of, a lot of cool stuff happens in Daniel, but the cool stuff only happens because all the bad stuff happens. Like, it's, it's a, you know, in the big picture, yes, there are very good stories, but I think the people of Israel, and even Daniel himself would say, hey, it would have been better if we didn't need to have this book. It would have been really good if we had listened to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is, is a master of the metaphor. There are some of his metaphors that are um, not really even safe for young children to hear in the sense of like, they, Jeremiah gets vulgar. So, I mean, if you're using this as your like evening devotions with your kids, you might want to read ahead first. Um, this one is not so bad. And so that's why I'm sharing it. It's already on the screen, you know. But, but through Jeremiah, God is pleading with Israel to repent, and he is essentially building a case against them. And in verse 13 of Jeremiah 2, he talks about the sins of his people. And he says there are two sins that they have, that they have committed, or two evils. He said, number one, they have mistaken me, the fountain of living water. So there's that concept again, that, that, that picture of abundant living. And instead, they have dug out cisterns for themselves. So again, just that reminder that these cisterns were like these large things. And so this, he is saying that what they are doing is even though they live right next to Niagara Falls, what they're choosing to do is fashion a, a, a cistern for tepid, warm, disease-filled water. And not only have they done that, but they haven't even done a good job of building the cistern. Because God says through Jeremiah, they've dug out cisterns for themselves, but they are cracked cisterns that can hold no water. This is a reminder that your choice of where you find your life dictates your health. Who, where you get your nourishment from matters. And God is demonstrating that the choice made by the people in the book of Jeremiah is a fatal error. And so when we come back to the book of John, Jesus once again is offering that same exchange, the same decision. He's demonstrating, he's saying, there are two options here. You either, you either abide in the vine and find nourishment and health and growth and, and, and abundance, or you can cut yourself off and you can shrivel away and lose your vitality and lose your ability to bear fruit and to have an abundant life. And I'll give yourself the only option, which is to shrivel away and be thrown aside. And Jesus offers to us the opportunity to grab on to him, to receive our nourishment, to receive our vitality, to receive our ability to thrive by grabbing on to Jesus and refusing to let go. The hope and the joy and contentment that so many of us, so many people spend their entire lives looking for, 
They, they, they seek and they look and they wonder how. And Jesus says, you can find this in me. You can have fruitful, abundant lives if you choose to abide in me. When Jesus says, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and become my disciples, that is his goal. Fruitful, abundant lives. But to do this, we must be able and willing to abide in him, to grab on to him. Because an abundant life can only come when we are rooted in the proper source of life. The fruit of our lives is always the result of where we choose to abide. And the second question that we need to ask ourselves comes, again, out of this book of John, chapter 15, when Jesus starts to talk about pruning. He says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. And I, again, this is not my own personal strength. Most of what I've had to learn about this, I've learned from reading, um, not from gardening. But I have learned that many fruit-bearing trees, particularly, or vines, in order to maximize their ability to produce fruit, have to be cut back. To the point that somebody like me, and I've seen this happen, I've seen, I've seen pruning happen up close, where it looks to me like they're cutting, and sometimes it looks like they're just hacking indiscriminately at these branches or at these vines. And it looks like they go too far. If you've ever seen somebody who knows what they're doing prune a vine or prune a tree, you will likely feel as though they are doing too much and hurting the vitality of the tree. Because when you look at it, it looks like it's this full and beautiful and vibrant tree, but appearances can be deceiving. And boy, if that's not a sermon in and of itself, what appears to be a full, vibrant tree actually limits its fruit-producing ability. And so when Jesus is talking about pruning, he is talking about areas that God is looking to excise from your life for the purposes of your thriving. Because, and this is something that's amazing that I learned um, a few years ago. In the process of pruning, one of the incredible things of biology is that the nature of the branch is to grow where you cut it. Biologically speaking, and I'm no biologist, this is based on the research that I've been able to do. Biologically speaking, plants are designed to send added nutrients and energy to the ends that have been cut. And often where the cut is made, two or three shoots often form. So what feels like or what may even look like you are doing to limit that branch or that vine, you are actually empowering it to grow larger than it could have otherwise. Pruning empowers short-term and long-term abundance, and none of it would be possible 
without the work of the master gardener lovingly, expertly, and faithfully pruning the branches. And I think for a lot of us, we, myself included, often get confused with the difference between full and healthy in our lives. I, I think it is so easy, and I think this is why my friend Christy hates the word busy, because busy, we assume busy is good. We assume that when we are busy, we are staying out of trouble. In fact, I remember, I'm pretty sure my mother, or very least my grandmother, used to say that an idle mind is the devil's playground, so you better keep busy. But that's not necessarily true. You can have a life full of stuff and still, at the end of the day, find yourself drained, sapped of energy and all vitality because the fullness of your life is not the point. Bearing fruit in God's world is the point. And when God comes to us and offers us an exchange, he offers to help us bear fruit but where so many of us struggle, and I think where so many of us find ourselves stuck, is that we have to agree to the pruning. You know, I'm, you're not going to go out to the trees out there and, and gain their permission to prune them. Or like the one tree that we cut down, we didn't ask for permission, we didn't have to, because trees aren't sentient, best I, I'm aware. But that's not how it works with people. God gives us the choice. God says, this is what I want for you, and I'm looking to prune you so that you can grow and that you can thrive. But the question is, is do we, are we willing to let him do the work that needs to be done? And so the question that I've been asking in my own life and that I think we need to embrace is where is Jesus pruning in this season? Where in our lives, where in my life is God asking me to surrender so that we, so that I can live an abundant life? What is God asking you to exchange as part of this, this new normal that God wants for you as we step into a new phase of life that God has for you? And are we willing to give him permission to make those cuts? The reality is, is, is that it's not easy and it isn't even painless. But the promise is, is just like how pruning a tree doesn't ultimately hurt the tree when you do it properly, when God prunes our lives, it does not harm. And that is the invitation that Jesus offers to us, the offer to abide in him, to grab onto him, and to not let go, and to experience the abundance that he has for us. It reminds me of Hebrews 12 that talks about the race marked out for us and that we can remove all that hinders us, all that stop us, all that hold us back from running the race 
that Jesus has for us. And just like that, God is inviting us into this process, inviting us to stay connected to the vibe, inviting us to remove all that keeps us from abundance. And even though he is more than capable of doing it, he's asking us, are you willing? Will you let me cut what needs to be cut so that you can thrive, so that rivers of living water can flow out from you? It is an act of surrender. It is an act of obedience. It's a decision to dwell in the streams of living water, even when it might seem easier to get our nourishment from the cisterns that are close by. It is being, it is the choice to not be content to settle with the status quo when God's best is available to us. And so the invitation that God is giving to us, and as the worship team, if you guys would like to come up at this time, the invitation is the choice to not settle. It's answering that question. Where do I get my nourishment from? And what is God looking to prune? And when we decide to abide in the vine, in Jesus, and we are willing to let him prune us, we unlock the ability and the opportunity to live his abundant life. Katie's going to lead us in a, a song that's called The Stand. It's a song of surrender. And my hope as we sing this song before we uh, move into uh, the closing part of our service where we, we'll be um, having the amazing, beautiful opportunity to, to dedicate uh, a baby who that is I know God's hope for Adeline is that is that she from a young from a young age from just what not even four months old maybe four months old at this point but but that is the trajectory that he would have for her and that he has for us is this decision to to choose daily to abide to hear this good news that God loves us and that God wants more for us and then the willingness to surrender and submit to the master gardener. So as we sing, I invite you to join us. Uh, if you would like to stand, you can stand. If you would like to uh, pray, uh, the altars are always open. But my hope for us today is that we would be a people who choose abundance and who choose surrender. Blessed be the Lord.